Welcome to the PWE and Me podcast, a place where we talk about the workplace, how it's changing, and ways that we can create an experience at work that is inspiring, real, and motivates us to bring our best self to work. PWE, what is it? Well, it's an acronym for Purposeful Workplace Experience. I'm on a mission to help our workplaces shift from being transactional to transformational, and PWE is how we will get there. My name is Carolyn Suara, your host and creator of PWE. Coming to you with another PWE and me episode, and today it's a bright, bright, sunny day here in Toronto. And uh, my guest today is Glyn Roberts McCabe from the Roundtable. Welcome, welcome, welcome! Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah. So now uh, we've met a few times. I, I don't think it's we're not like best friends yet, but I'd say we like we hit we you know we got along pretty well from that first coffee date that we had. Yeah, I think it was kindred spirits, right? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it was only a matter of time before Glenn came onto this podcast, and uh, you know you have so much experience. I know you, uh, you know, you're the founder and president of the Roundtable. Um, and, and I would love to just hear all of these things you've learned over, you know, your 12 years running this company and, uh, and specifically um, around leadership development. Does that sound like a good plan, sure. a good discussion around that? Happy to share and dish and all those yeah. things. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, let's just, let's just start, we're going to dig in fast, go right, go right in right away. Um on your LinkedIn page, you've got a pretty provocative statement there that says most leadership development sucks, right? <laughs> yep. What it um, yeah. So why does it, why does it suck? Why does it suck? Why do you think it sucks? Yeah. I mean, okay. So just a little bit of background. So I spent about 10 years in the leadership development space. I would call the traditional leadership development space. And how I would characterize that would be classroom training where we get sent to courses and there's somebody smart at the front of the room who is telling us about leadership. And then also through um, executive coaching. So I did my coaching um, training through Coaches Training Institute in early 2000s. And felt like those were kind of the two extremes, like in between you had things like experiential activities, like go on ropes courses and jump around and do things like that. Um, But really what was out there was sort of this go and be immersed in leadership training for three to five days and read a bunch of fictional case studies and then come back to your job and get back on the job and be completely overwhelmed with the work that you're doing. And I say that, um, coming from the frame up at the time I was running a consulting firm that did all of that work. Right. Right. And, um, and what I was finding was um, for myself personally, I was leading a business. I was kind of, I was at the time head of sales and I became the managing partner for the Toronto office for this, this business. And I, as a leader was struggling. I, as a leader, was looking for something else. So what were you, what were you struggling with? Well, I I was struggling. I was, you know, I think you can go and you can listen to great people like Stephen Covey and Marcus Buckingham, and you can go and sit in a gazillion courses, auditing, you know, trainers who are doing all kinds of interesting things on leadership. 
But then there's the reality of when you are at a certain stage in your leadership career, you know what you need to do, but it's very difficult translating what you know you need to do to actually doing it. And I think that that, and I was in a culture that was wildly supportive of development and wildly supportive of helping you as a leader kind of get deeper in your own self-awareness and understanding and impact. And still, I felt very lonely. I felt very isolated. I felt like I was really lacking in terms of people who understood what it was like to actually walk in the shoes of a leader and really be able to talk about the actual realities of leading. It's one thing to know you need to have a difficult conversation with somebody about their performance, but then going and doing and having that conversation and all the internal emotions that are within yourself that go along with that. um, It's very challenging. And I felt like there wasn't space to talk about that. So when I say a leadership, most leadership development sucks, it's, you know, that's a bit me being a bit cheeky and provocative. I mean, there is (laughs) lots of great training out there and I am a big advocate of training and development. However, when it comes to, I think with leadership, the bigger thing about being a leader is it's not what you know, it's what you do, right? What you say and what you do. And it's the mindset and behaviors that you need to continuously be working on and looking at that really are what allow you to be successful. Um, and that's that's the harder thing. That's the harder thing to kind of tackle. And you yeah. don't get that in the classroom. Well, and, and, you know, this was when you said you were struggling with it, this was before you started the round table, I presume. Right. So that would have been what, 15, 20 years ago. And I mean, you were working when you were, you know, 10 years old. Cause, you know. <laughs> yeah, I started the round table 11 years ago. It hasn't been quite yeah. that long, but 11 years ago, I started the round table. Yeah. But, but, but where I was going with that was, um, you know, when you were feeling all those things, that was at a very different time in, in our business world where the speed of change the technology we we were using it was a little bit it was a little bit slower i mean yes we were busy but um it was a different world back then yeah. correct yeah for sure and i mean i think but i think i when i think about when i started it was or when i was leading that firm i joined the firm in 1999 and by two early 2000s, we really started to see an explosion in executive coaching, right? All Mm -hmm. of a sudden, coaching started to go mainstream. And for me, I'm one of these people, I get curious. I'm like, why is that happening? What is going on? And what I realized for myself, and it was when I got into coaching, and I hired my own coach, and I've always had a coach off and on through, you know, since I discovered coaching, I realized that it's because of the speed of change, right? You don't have time to sit in a classroom and maybe get, you know, a little bit of a nugget here and there. When you work with a coach, it's all about you. It's about what your needs are. So the speed to which you can learn and accelerate is much faster, right? When you have one-to-one coaching. So I saw that we were starting to make a shift in how we were teaching leaders to learn. But you see, executive coaching, um, wasn't the, like nothing is the silver bullet, right? I think right, right. But, we always want something to be a silver bullet. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds like it was a progression though, right? From classroom training to executive coaching. And, and they're absolutely, there's so much more of that now, which is excellent because you need that safe place to talk and learn and grow mm-hmm. with with somebody who can help guide that. Um, and, then, and then where did things go after executive coaching Well, for me, where I started to see was, so if you put it on two polarities, where you have on one end, you have 
classroom training, which tends to be fairly rigid, right? We've got learning outcomes we need to get you through. It's around this topic. And then you've got executive coaching, which is at the other end of the spectrum, which is it's all about you and the immediate needs you have. Um, I started to feel like what was missing in the middle was this idea of for experienced leaders in particular, this notion that you could learn a lot from each other and that mm. you could learn really, this idea of community started really becoming very apparent to me because we were getting, you know, more and more um, transactional at work. We are getting more and more isolated from each other. They've right. always said leadership's lonely at the top. I work with a lot of mid-career leaders. I can remember feeling as a managing partner, well, technically I'm at the top because I'm the managing partner, but I'm mid-career in comparison to my peers. Um, mm-hmm. I am not somebody who is, um, you know, very good at surrounding myself naturally, asking for help naturally, and yet was finding it, you know, beca- I was becoming increasingly isolated and finding it difficult. So, you know, that becomes an internal stress and you're kind of piling all of this on yourself. So I just started to see a lot more people like in my practice that were like that. I was, I was um, coaching a lot of quote unquote derailing high potentials at the time. And I right. saw this common piece that people were, especially that high performer, going it alone and not necessarily recognizing when they could use some additional outside perspective. So it felt to me like there was a shift between academic, theoretical and needing things needing to be extremely practical and relevant because of the speed of change that was happening. And then this idea that executive coaching, one of the downsides of executive coaching, I think, when you are coaching somebody one-to-one is that you don't see them in context. You don't see how the behavior come out. And so this notion of, well, if you could bring leaders together, they could learn and support each other. But as a coach, you could also see how their behaviors played out, how the mindsets play out within um, a group environment. To me, it seemed like that would be really powerful. And so that was, that was where I started to get curious. And, you know, Honestly, entrepreneurs have been doing this for years. CEOs have been doing this for years. And this idea of having peer groups and having people that you can connect with and be able to share real-time needs and opportunities and and challenges together. Why isn't that available for mid-career people? Yeah. Right? Well, and it's it's so interesting um, that you bring up the word isolation because it, it seems sort of counterintuitive. You go into the office, there's tons of people around, you know, you've got a team, And yet I I can absolutely identify with what you're talking about. You do feel isolated and you don't want to necessarily talk with other managers um, because sometimes that's not necessarily a safe space. It could be a little political. So um, I really identified with what you said about um, about that isolation piece. And I find it very ironic that uh, I put a post up today on my uh, Instagram that was a quote from Shauna Kaur's book which said, isolation is never the cure for what ails us in life. And I would add to that or what ails us in the workplace. So I love, I love where, uh, where you took this and, and, um, and it sounds like that. So that's what you do at, at the round table then is there, there's a lot of peer coaching and group coaching. Yeah, that's, that's the backbone of what we do. So we have group coaching programs, guided group mentoring programs, and, uh, and then we're just working right now on a, um, a team coaching program for team leaders to work on their team coaching um, capability and and uh, and uh, capacity. 
I think too, like going back to this isolation thing, like, isn't it curious right now that we are there, you know, um, there is an article in HBR, I think it was last year or the year before, that was called The Loneliness Epidemic. Yes. The, um, Britain has instituted a minister of loneliness. We're seeing more and more of this conversation. And I think for me, this, you know, since we've introduced technology, we see that, yes, we're so socially connected, but we're not. We're so socially isolated. And what I'm yes. seeing in my cohorts now, because when I started the roundtable, most of my cohorts, you know, our, our target group is typically like a 30 to 45 year old, you know, leader at that mid-level um, kind of career path stage. Mm-hmm. We're now, so when I started, they were mostly Gen X leaders, right? Gen X to, you know, late baby boomers. Now I'm yeah. back in the millennial group. And yeah. what I notice is really happening in organizations. And I know this kind of goes to the work that you do in spades and it's very near and dear to my heart culture work is that I'm seeing a lot of people that don't know how to make these kinds of deep connections. We are forgetting how to build community. Right. And so some of the fundamental things that when we look at, you know, what, what it takes to be a high performing team, creating psychological safety. I mean, that is the buzzword right now across everywhere I turn psychological safety and learning agility is the other big buzzword. But to me, what I notice, like when we bring our groups together, we're actually teaching them that like in real time, they are learning how to build community with each other, which then they can translate into building community with their teams internally in their organizations. But that to me is fascinating that we have, isn't it? That yeah. We're swinging so far away. Like we know how to do all these, um, you know, interesting things technically. And we've got all this technical competence and, you know, and, we can collaborate, uh, like I find the younger groups much stronger collaboration than the Gen X populations. But when it comes to having, you know, tough conversations, meaningful discussions, dealing with, um, you know, issues within the team that have to be addressed, right, because it erodes trust or, um, you know, uh, certainty within the team, boy, we, I, I see more and more leaders struggling with that. Um, well, and that comes... interesting. And that comes back to what you were talking about before in terms of all the loneliness that that is being reported in the workplace. I mean, you're there physically, but not necessarily connected mm-hmm. emotionally um, or psychologically to the people around you. Mm-hmm. Well, you walk through. It's funny. When I go to some of my clients, I walk down the halls and it's all the cubicle, open concept cubicle farms, right? And you just yeah. see everybody sitting there with their headphones on. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that commercial? There's a commercial for PC, I think. It was on like last year and it was all these people doing things individually. Um, And yeah, they had they had people at work eating their lunch by themselves with their headsets on. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was a food commercial. It was about um, it was about bringing people back together (laughs) again to eat. I remember. Yeah. But I mean, that's pretty basic, right? To come together to share bread or, you know, what it's it, it really it was an eye-opener when I watched it thinking why are you advertising food I'm like oh yeah that's right because gathering around and eating together well the same sort of, of thing yeah, a friend of mine started a um project called project Genwell, which uh, came from when the uh generators all went down in Toronto in 2003 and we had the yeah. big blackout and everybody reconnected and yep. literally, it's a movement to try and get people to reconnect with their neighbors and do things yeah. in the community base. And so I just think I just think those are all symptoms of what 
if that is happening in the broader world, what's happening in our organizations. And so yes. how do you create community? And so again, to just cycle back to the start of our conversation, when you're doing leadership training, you're not creating community. People are going in for a course and then they're walking out again. And I think the more we sort of create an ongoing sense of community and a learning community and an ongoing supportive community around um, leadership development, where it's not an event, it's a journey, it's a process, and we're all in it together. There's so many multiple benefits for that, that that extend way beyond just the individual and their leadership development. Right. And so when you say those words, create a community, do you, like at work, do you get eye rolls in the back of, of people's heads or, or are people like, yeah, you know, we do want to develop that? Or do you even use that vernacular with your clients? Um, it's a good question. I mean, what I find people are looking for now because of the speed of change and because of the interconnectivity that is required to happen within organizations, what I find is what most people are looking for is increased collaboration. So what they mm. want, what they want to see or what they need to see from their leaders is more collaboration, less silos, more coaching, right? More of a coach type approach, because we know that's mission critical for younger, um, yeah. you know, employees and leaders. And so that's what they're looking for. And so to me, you don't teach a course on collaboration. Like I'm not going to take you in for a day and teach you how to be a collaborative leader. Yeah. Um, <laughs> by going into a group coaching experience, you're going to experience what it means to be a collaborative leader. You're going to experience what it means to build community and, and connection and psychological safety with a group. And by experiencing something, then you're going to know what you need to do as a leader within your own teams and organizations. So for me, I feel like, you know, one of the goals that we should have as educators and people who are in the learning space is thinking about how do you help your students, your, um, you know, the people that are participating in your programs, how do you help them fish for themselves? How do you teach them how to do these things on their own? How do you create ripple effects in organizations where it sustains beyond you as the coach or consultant or trainer, who, you know, whatever right. role you're playing? Right. And so, and, and then you do that through creating these collaborative experiences so they can experience it and then take it back to their own teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the round table at the core, like our, we've got three anchor programs, as I mentioned earlier, that the main one that we've had um, for the last 10 years, kind of our, our um, hallmark program is called the round table for leaders. And it's a close to 12 month experience where leaders come in they establish a behavior that they want to develop over the course of the 12 months that's very much tied to the strategic priorities and culture of the business that they're working within, the role that they're playing, their manager is involved in supporting the journey. So it's very much a partnership within um, everybody involved. And, and then they work together within a small cohort. So none of these big 24 people things, but a small intimate group of eight um, leaders working together over, you know, the course of 11 months, and they dive into the things that are so cornerstone to leadership, right? So values, strengths, personal yeah. legacy, you know, all of those types of topics um, so that they can, but I think to me, the bigger thing is that they, they start to understand themselves a lot more, but what they're really building out is this deep 
um, strong sense of community with the other people that are in the in the cohort with them. And that that has such a multiplier effect for organizations and for organization culture. So for us, when you're trying to get culture to stick, there's no better way to get culture to stick than take some of your best and brightest and really yeah. have them talk about and dive into and explore what this culture means. And then how yeah. did they help ripple that out into your organization? It's really powerful. And so, and these people that come together, they're, are they from the same company or they're from different companies? We do both. And they're both very different fields. 90% of our work is from the same company. So they're okay. individuals within the same organization. And that's where you get that really powerful, um, you know, shifts in mindsets and culture um, within. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a culture crew, like a catalyst uh, to power your culture, really. Yeah, 100%. We, have a, we actually have a program yeah. called Roundtable Catalyst, which is, which is um, another kind of spin where we get senior executives leading small groups to talk about the topics that are really critical for the organization and it's all coaching based and accountability and and that's kind of an interesting process because that also really starts to break down silos around talent and 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 broadens mindsets around talent too so what um gosh so many questions i want to (laughs) ask um where what, what prompted you to start that one to have the senior executives um, lead some of these discussions. Yeah, so it came from, I was running, I was actually running a roundtable group in one of the big banks, and it was under their diversity umbrella. And um, I'd spent some time working in women's organizations. And one of the things that we've always talked about in terms of helping women advance was this idea of women need mentors, women have to have mentors. And I was, you know, again, I'm a skeptic. So for me, I was like, well, there's tons of mentoring programs happening for women. It doesn't seem to be changing anything. And so in this um, on-site roundtable program, one of the topics we talked about was the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. And I had two senior executives from the bank come in. And one of them was a gentleman. And he talked about the fact that you will mentor many people, but you will only sponsor a few. And I thought that was an interesting Mm -hmm. comment. And I wanted to dive into... What's what was the difference in his mind? And both he and the other um, senior executive who happened to be female talked about the fact that sponsorship is really about that. I've seen you in action. Right. I trust you. If I I'm going to be putting my reputation on the line, if I say, you know what, I believe in Carolyn, Carolyn can do this, even though she doesn't have the experience on paper, I'm going to back her for this role, right? Um, Whereas mentorship, you're giving advice, you're giving ideas, there's not really skin in the game, right? Right. And so I thought that was fascinating. And then I, I started to think about that being really the glass ceiling, not just for women, but for any minority. Because one of the things that um, men have had access to for years is what we call informal networks. And so those would be things like getting to play on the hockey team with the boss, going golfing, going for drinks after work, all of that kind of good stuff. And the penny dropped for me where I went, oh, yeah, because when I'm on the hockey team, I'm demonstrating my team skills, my communication skills, my you know, communication skills, all of those um, types of things are being demonstrated in real time. So if I'm sitting in an office with somebody and the boss has to choose between going with the guy who I know because I play hockey with and the woman who I is in a mentoring relationship with me, but I've never actually seen in action, who's going to have the edge. And so what I did was I 
started to think about this idea of um, senior leaders getting exposure to broader talent within their organization. But also the other the other side to this was when I talked to a lot of my HR um, clients and friends, they would say, oh my gosh, we've got these senior leaders who think they're great and they're really not that great in their coaching skills and they need to be better. And so mm-hmm. it was sort of this double whammy development where I thought, here's a great opportunity to Um, provide some development to leaders in terms of upping their coaching skills and particularly group coaching skills while at the same time providing them with a broader view of talent because just like I was mentioning earlier you know the downside to one-on-one coaching is you don't see people in context well this would allow senior leaders to see a cross-section of their you know up-and-coming employees in context so If I'm a a senior leader and I'm working with three or four people from across the organization that I don't necessarily get to work with, I'm going to see, how do you show up for the sessions? Are you prepared? Have you done your homework? How do you interact with your peers? It is actually being the person in action. And so what we've been finding, we rolled out this program about three years ago. And so what we've been finding is those companies where they have a very rigid or rigorous talent review process it's really expanding the conversations in the talent review because it's not just the manager now who's able to get perspective on an individual. Um, So it's, it's really powerful. And so if you then start applying it to rolling through culture change or um, trying to shift a mindset, or if you're doing any kind of acquisition integration or things like that, great opportunities for senior leaders also to get really close to key performers to hear What's keeping them up at night? What are the things that yeah. they're struggling with? And solve for it in real time, right? I, I love it. There's so many, so many great things about it. I mean, at the core of it, it's creating an opportunity to build more relationships, um, which is fundamental, right? We're wired to be connected to each other, 100%. and this. This is, and and, you know, this is going to be fundamental to the success of any businesses. Uh, Any business is the strength of relationships. So I just think that's, I think that's just brilliant to have given that framework to organizations uh, to allow them to capitalize on it. That's that's amazing. Yeah. And so, so that's, um, that's another, another program that you have there that really falls into this group coaching. So you've got group coaching Um, And I mean, really, the theme through all of this is pulling people together to create a community to learn and grow together. Mm -hmm. And and around the things that we don't typically talk about. So we're very Mm. much based around this idea of behavior change and this notion that, you know, one of my mentors is Marshall Goldsmith, who wrote the book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And that is really what we are focused on with leaders is to say you've been really successful how do we help you get more successful, right? So, right. and because every leadership situation, there's going to be certain ways that you approach it that are going to be really beneficial, but there's going to be other times where your behavior is actually going to be a detriment to you. It's not, yeah. it's not going to help you get where you need to be. So how do we help you round out your approach in a way that um, makes an impact and that is aligned to 
the needs of the business now? Because I think one of the things that's really been happening that we underestimate is with all the change that goes on in business, the expectations on us as leaders change and and it changes rapidly. So where I was knocking it out of the park last year with my approach and what I was doing, now this year the business has pivoted, um, new priorities are emerging, and guess what? Maybe the way I've been doing things yeah. isn't working is for me work? anymore. And guess what? We don't talk about that. And managers yeah. are great at isolating behavioral feedback. So- right, or, or even identifying that, right? So you said learning agility, um, yeah, my experience is if you're good at one thing, then the assumption is that thou must be good at everything else. Um, so even giving language to it and a space to talk about it must be such a huge way forward for people in your group. Yeah, I think it's it's huge. And then I think the other piece that, um, you know, really, for me, it, I, I thought of it, um, I didn't think of it, but it struck me many, many years ago. I was, um, when I was actually at the consulting firm, we used to kind of share stories between the different offices. And I can remember my colleague, Carl, he ran our Chicago office and he was talking about a client who, you know, had been needed to change behavior, needed to shift behavior, but was so far gone in the organization that nobody would give that individual a chance. And she ended up having to leave the organization. And for me, I thought that was really interesting in that it doesn't really matter what you are trying to do to shift behavior. If other people around you don't see any behavior. And then of course, Marshall has Marshall Goldsmith, again, going back to him has really opened up his process to everybody to share. And he's, you know, now training people in his method, which is all around this notion of stakeholder centered coaching. It's something that we had incorporated from the get go in, in our work was this idea of you've got to, it's not just enough for you to identify the behavior. You have to make sure that the people around you know what it is you're working on so that their brains, because this is just all neuroscience, their brains start looking for the new stuff. Their brains are looking for the behavior that you're going to be working on. So when you bring a group together and they're all being very transparent and open about the behavior that they're working on, especially when they're working for the same company, that means that you now have seven other people that are going to be coaching you that are looking for the quote unquote new stuff. And that's powerful. Like you can't underestimate the power of that to start you know, breaking old tapes. Like I I talk to my clients all the time about, you know what, if you've been labeled as the hothead or you've been labeled as the person who's not very assertive, or you've been labeled as the person who is, um, you know, too collaborative with your peers, you're going to have to shift that, that behavior. And what gets hard about it is that behavior is probably one of your strengths. And so you're really comfortable doing it. And you, you know, and I think, what we work on a lot with our clients is helping them figure out how do I retain my strength and not water it down and at the same time bring a little bit of counterbalance to it and that's it's tricky it's tricky for people to kind of wrap wrap their heads around and it's tricky for um, the individuals around um, the person being coached to start to look for the new behavior. So it's got to be a full-on team. Like to me, it's like a team contact sport. It really, yeah, you know. it really is. And it's it's a real evolution of of learning, right? If we if we come back to everything we've been talking about here, right? It goes 
it goes from, you know, the, the courses to the coaching, to the team coaching, to now it's like, everyone's going to know your development. And when everybody knows what you're working on, they're there and helping you and looking out for the progress, the setbacks, that sort of thing. And so you're not isolated in your own development anymore. And it becomes something you're all working together. on. Yeah. I, I remember years ago in one of my sales decks, I had this little um, schematic, maybe I should bring it back to life, but it was really talking about moving from the individual to the collective. When we think about yeah. leadership development, it's all, it's often about, we're going to send you off to this course, yes. right? As opposed yep. to we collectively are going to go and develop ourselves as leaders and then look to see how we support each other. And that's where we've got to make the shift. But it's so ingrained because we've gone through school our whole lives where it's about us as an individual going in and learning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, and even if you think of how we're, you know, a lot of performance um, metrics are based around your individual performance as well. And I know, you know, there's definitely a shift towards, you know, more team-based metrics, and that's not always easy to measure unless, you know, if you're in sales, it's easy, but if you're in other areas, it's not as easy. Um, I'm, I'm curious to hear how other people feel about supporting the needs of their group in a time where it feels like there's never enough time in the day to get anything done, let alone three things on your to-do list. So how do you deal with that sort of resistance? I'm, I'm going to guess you get that kind of resistance initially, potentially, or, or maybe yeah, you don't because no, do. you're so I mean, wonderful. For sure. I mean, we'll, we will, we get resistance on a number of levels, right? So we get resistance from people who don't feel comfortable asking peers for feed forward or their direct reports for feed forward on their um, behaviors that they need to work on. Um, so feed forward, just in case listeners don't know what that is, I mean, again, popularized by Marshall, but um, this idea of going to somebody saying, hey, I'm working on my, I want to be a better listener. Give me your best suggestion on what I could do to be a better listener. And that right. is positive. You're starting, what can you start doing? But still people are resistant to that. It feels uncomfortable for many leaders to share that they have a developmental opportunity, particularly with direct reports and often with peers. Like that's an uncomfortable relationship because there's often so much, you know, politicking and grandstanding, yes. right? So yep. ego, right? Ego really gets into it. Yeah. So so we get it there. We certainly get it from the our leaders are so busy and you know, are they going to be able to take three? Because our sessions are three hours every six weeks, right? Are mm. they going to be able to take that time away? Um, you know, they they really don't have time for this because they've got big deliverables. Hear that a lot. Right. Um, my, my point of view is that uh, this is a coaching program. So if you think about spending time with your coach, I always get value from working with my coach. If I'm not getting value working with my coach, then I need to find a new coach because you, when you are working with a one-on-one coach, you're working on what is keeping you up at night. You are going to make a movement no matter what. So because the program's a coaching program, it's the same philosophy. So I sort of, my response back to people when they say that to me is, well, you know what, if people aren't getting value, we're doing something wrong and we've got to fix it. But they're coming in to work on things that are real time issues. They're not bringing right. a fake case study. I mean, I think that method, yeah. which was great, you know, and it's nice to look at things neutrally. And But I think often people miss the point. Like I, I, I'm, I'm constantly amazed when you see people go through case studies and they can look at, you know, they can dissect somebody else's situation, but they have a very hard time taking that same situation and applying it into their own world. 
right? Well, that's because the big V word comes out, right? <laughs> yeah, it's hard. And if you're if they're not comfortable in putting themselves out there, it's a heck of a lot safer to look at a case study on a piece of paper. So much easier. And I think that yeah. word, and that's the thing that what happens in the roundtable groups is that people get really vulnerable. And I know you're a huge fan yeah. of Renee Brown's and, and I am too. And yeah. I would say, you know, what's been great, I think she's really taken vulnerability mainstream. What the hardest thing for me when I first started this business, which was, you know, 11, almost 12 years ago now, was that nobody was talking about vulnerability then. Nobody was talking right. about intimacy then. And here I was walking yeah. around going, you know what, I'm going to create these groups and people are really going to be connected and they're going to be vulnerable with each other. And people are like, well, why would you want them to be vulnerable? Why do you want leaders yeah. talking about their values? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's not going to help our business. Yeah, exactly. And now, you know, again, thanks to people like Brene, who've taken these ideas, you know, broader and mainstream, there's more of an openness to it. So I get less pushback on those kinds of things, but I don't know. I, I think I think you should question like the time commitment, and if your leaders are busy, should they be involved in things? I would absolutely yeah. say there's tons of stuff that goes into organizations that, in my mind, is a big waste of time. And any of us who've been classroom trainers know what it feels like to stand at the front of the room with a bunch of people who were sent to your training. Who's yes, time for that. I don't have time for that. Yeah, yeah. No one, no one has time no, for that at all. No. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you. God, yeah. Well, something off your desk. That's our mantra in here. Is that you're going to come into one of our programs at the end of every session you should have moved something off your desk that means a conversation that you've been avoiding having that you're going to now go and have or it could be it could be literally something that had been keeping you up at night around uh you know a project or something else that you can now have an action plan that you know what you need to go and do but you've got to be making you, you have to be using those three hours to move something forward absolutely now i'm going to ask you to use your crystal ball um, because, you know, I mean, you have such, you know, such great wisdom through all the different roles you've had over the years and you've seen this progression of, of learning for people. Where do you think, like, what will be the next thing for leaders and culture? If, you know, if we were to look five, 10 years down the road, I don't know, maybe even two years with how fast things are changing. I just think we're seeing a huge emergence in team. Like, I think what we're really, I think it really, I think we're just on the tip of the iceberg of this individual mm. shift to the collective shift of learning. And I think the mm. next big thing that's really going to explode is team coaching, team, like as a, to be a leader today, we've been putting a lot of emphasis on organizations on helping leaders improve their coaching skills, which is great. But now it's going to be about yeah. how do you build the collective? How do you as a leader... Right get the most out of your teams because we are, I mean, and there's a lot of reasons for that shift. I mean, I, I think the younger generation that are coming in are far more team oriented than, yeah. um, you know, certainly Gen X has been, um, and the baby boomers were team oriented, but in a different way. This is, this is a team orientation that we're seeing that is really about also how these people lead. They lead differently. They are more yes. about leading through the collective. And that looks yep. differently, which can make, you know, a lot of us older <laughs> older folks yeah. um, a little bit uncomfortable, right? It feels different. It looks different. But that's yep. going to be, to me, the next big thing is more um, 
you know, learning as a collective, learning as a whole group. Right. We are going to go through this together. We're going to learn together. We're going to support each other together. These little microcosms of um, learning groups, I think, is where we're going to go. I mean, everybody talks about technology and AI and all kinds of things like that. But to be honest, like I lived through the e-learning thing where e-learning was going to be, you know, the end yes, of Yes, remember it was going to take over everything. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't, and, you know, yeah. I actually think we need more human connection. And I think there's going to be a huge backswing against, you know, this social media trend. I remember when social media came in and there was, there was trainers and consultants that were all about, you know, you got to get social, you got to be on Twitter, you got to be doing this, you got to be making these connections. I, you know, I think all of these things I take with a grain of salt and you have to look at it and say, what are the components that we can pull from these things that are the positives? But I, I think we are as a society, um, we've moved too far away. So this isn't just about leadership, but just as a society, we've moved too far away from human connection. We are totally meant agree. to, like you said, we are meant to connect. We are meant yeah. to have deep, meaningful relationships with people. And I think all of this, the mental health issues that we're seeing in organizations right now, I think organizations are creating a lot of those. There's way too much pressure on people. And so organizations have a yeah. responsibility to start counterbalancing that with bringing back some of the things that back in the 80s, when I started, we used to have in spades, the company picnic and yeah. the company holiday party and all of those kinds of things that brought together community. That's been lost in this pursuit of profit. And we've got to, we have got to write the um, apple cart because it's it's not sustainable. And I think that's why we're, totally. we're seeing so much burnout and so many people struggling. Yeah. I mean, well, this is why we get along so well, even though we've only, you know, had coffee a few times, but I, you know, I couldn't have said it any better. It, it made me think of, of something my son said the other day, he's 16. I won't say his name. I don't know if he's even listening, probably not, but uh, he, he didn't want to work all summer. Um, and I thought, come on, you can make money and you can get, you know, work hard and, He's like, no, I want to, I want to relax and hang out with my friends. And, you know, it was hard for my husband and I to get our heads around that. But then I thought, this is a different way of looking at life and the world. And I thought, you know, I'm okay with that. And he's, he's making a good amount of money. He's 16. Um, so he's getting a different type of work ethic. And instead of railing again against it and thinking you should be working harder, I'm, I'm thinking, this is interesting and, and I hope it sets you up better in life to realize that there's a balance out there that you can achieve in your work life. Um, Cause you're right. We don't have it now and we absolutely do have to write the apple cart. So, yeah. So I'm telling, I, I, yeah, I, I, we could talk for, for hours and hours. Um, but I, I know that the, this conversation topic, it sounds like this is, is probably a natural place to end um, for, for this topic, but you know, maybe we'll have you on again. <laughs> Anytime. I know I could talk yeah, to you. You know, we talk about leadership, I think forever. There's so many interesting threads and places that we can go. Can't we? There are, but, but to really distill it into simplest terms, how would you distill it into simplest terms? I was going to say something, but I'm going to guess that you will say it even better. <laughs> what do you mean? I the simplest way to describe leader, leadership, really simple. Simplest way to describe leadership. Based on everything we just talked about. So to me, when I think about what it means to be a leader, I think of it as being 
this huge responsibility and this amazing, incredible opportunity because you are shaping the lives of everybody who's on your team. And so you have a responsibility to do it the best that you're able. And you have this opportunity to be that person that in five years, 10 years, 20 years, people will say, oh my gosh, once upon a time I worked for this fill in the blank, man, woman, <laughs> yep. whatever, um, who changed my life. That's what you, that's what and we the best to way to change. Yeah. And the best way to change another person's life or have an impact is to be human, yeah. to be real and, um, and just be who you are. Be who you are. So, I think it's like an ongoing, I think to me, yeah. leadership is an ongoing journey of self-discovery and, and you have Absolutely. to look at it that way. You cannot, yeah, cannot think that you've got it all figured out. I've been leading since I was 24. I have days where I think I've done a pretty good job. And I have many days where I think, gosh, I wish I could have a do-over on that day. Yeah. Or like, what the heck am I doing? Oh, yeah. yeah. I hear you, sister. <laughs> I hear you, sister. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Glyne, so much. Um, before we uh, sign off here, where could people find you on the internet? Uh, we are, uh, website is goroundtable.com and then we are on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram under Go Roundtable. I think Twitter it's Hey Roundtable. Um, so yeah, you can find us there. There we go. All right, folks. Well, uh, that concludes another episode of PWE and Me. I will see you again soon. in hearing more about PWE? Well, I'd welcome you to buy my book, Rules of Engagement, Building a Workplace Culture to Thrive in an Uncertain World. I share stories, personal and professional, about different elements of PWE, and it's available on Amazon or on Indigo. Thanks to all of you out there. This is why we do this. This is why we have this conversation. We look forward to being with you again on our next PWE and Me podcast. Now, the best way you can hear us is to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes. And if you don't like either one of those two, you can always go to my website at carolynswara.com. <laughs>